right. I'm with Tom. How's it going, Thomas? Yes, lovely. Thank you. How about you? Pretty good. United coasted through to the quarterfinals. I'm forgetting which round we are. There's so many games in this. Europa League is like what the World Cup is going to become. Did you see the, not to get too distracted, but did you see the announcement of what the structure is going to look like? Yeah, to, to some extent, actually, like there's there's part of me that's actually a little bit excited oh, God, right? yeah. because Oceania get Oceania get one and three and a third. Yes, so we could see Tahiti at the next World Cup if they somehow get through an intercontinental playoff match against the sixth, I don't know, seventh place. Or yeah, or I can't remember. Is it seventh place South American? Or I can't remember. There's 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 playoff teams in every continent. Seven now, it? yeah, 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 yeah. I I know. I I almost wish they'd got a second. So. Because it'll be New Zealand who qualify top of that group because they're playing yeah. Tahiti and Fiji Always. and Vanuatu and the Cook Islands and the Solomon Islands and Guam and the Solomon Islands. Yeah. In the Women's World Cup, they get two. Right. So you usually get a, uh, a, a yeah, someone like Tahiti or whatever in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the World Cup, isn't it? I, I think one of the things with the 48 team World Cup, the concern is around dilution of quality. And that's probably true. It's probably going to be a big result somewhere where we all go look what they've done to the world cup the quality's been diluted but the final 16 and 8 and so on knockout rounds will be high quality as always so yeah i i don't really have a problem with the expansion of the tournament it means more games for the winning team there'll be eight games not seven and i guess mm-hmm. we've probably seen the last ever in one country world cup because 104 yeah. games, it's almost impossible for any one country to support it. Although England could, because there's a lot of grounds. Yeah. And I suppose well, the, the Britain, I guess. Yeah, maybe. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And well, we'll see for the future. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I saw someone complaining about someone who was saying, oh, they need to remember about the people who need to work it. And yeah, I guess so. But you get to have a World Cup for free. If you, if you work it, if like you work it, yeah, you don't have to go to every single game. That's right. It's, yeah, there's going, you, going to be six games a day. You've got, at least. A, you've got a massive privilege of being able to be there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, six games a day for that group stage. I was chatting online on Twitter with our one resident scouser who listens to the pod, Chris. I guess we can call him a friend of the show, friend of me, something like that. Is, is he? Class as a masochist as well. Yeah, He's I know. He, well, he he, uh, he plays it on repeat back to back when Liverpool win, doesn't he? Anyway, <laughs> we were talking about how we're all going to get enough. divorced because six games a day. I mean, it's for for on British time, two of those games will be through the middle of the night. Basically, there, there'll be one that wraps up at six and one that wraps up at four or something like that. I mean, I guess they may tweak it in the years to come. Anyway. You're, the, the point I was making before we went off into a massive diversion is Europa League is a bit like that. It just goes on forever and ever and ever, and especially if you have that extra playoff round that that we get. So, by the way, Tom, did you see talking to Liverpool? Did you see Liverpool versus Real Madrid, where the penalty at the end of that game wasn't given for because it bounced off his knee and then up up onto his hand? <laughs> Correctly. Right. Not given. Uh, we always talk. We always talk about VAR, and we just we just love consistency, and it's just great to see it again at the highest level. Yeah, consistency. Well, Manchester City got a penalty because maybe the ball 
brushed one of his hairs on his arm as he was looking <laughs> the other way. By the way. <laughs> wow, just lovely. Anyway, United won versus Betis, and I guess in the end it was it felt pretty easy, but it was feisty for an hour or so, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was almost like a. I don't know. This these Spanish working class teams like Atletico Madrid and obviously Betis from the lesser loved part of Sevilla, there's there's this feistiness about them. And when there's almost like a chip on their shoulder a little bit, it, it was it was quite good fun for about 50, 55 minutes. Like there was part of me being like, oh my God, you don't want an injury here, especially when Rashford, Rashford is squaring up to that bloke. And then that bloke was had a five minutes where he was a feisty and he kind of lost his head for a little bit. And I'm like, oh, the last thing we don't need to hit is obviously an injury. And that's also goes to the point of ten hogism, which where he just never drops people yeah. and never gives people a rest. Core core concept of the philosophy is is literally that to not rest people. Well I know the the last twenty minutes of the game I was looking at Casemiro going, Do not get booked. Do not get booked. <laughs> I know, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But but at least it was like fun for fifty five, sixty minutes. It obviously petered out towards the end as the the feistiness had just dissipated from Betis. I guess like the whole, the, the first hour was really high tempo as well. You can sort yeah. of understand like one, the fact that the morale and the fact that they were get, never going to win it obviously kind of got to their heads, but also the fact that it was really high tempo really quickly, like back and forth, back and forth. It was, it was good fun. I did think for the first few minutes, why are United allowing this to be so open? I mean, I, I guess mm. the trade-off with giving away chances to the opposition is is Betis were really pushing hard, so the chance of a, a goal and the, the transition was high for United, but it was very, very open yeah. and, and end-to-end. And yeah, the intensity, as you say, was was pretty high for a, for a tie. The chances of Betis going through were very small, weren't they? Yeah, it was, it's weird. It was almost like... We spoke at the weekend about bad game management from some type of players, and it felt like that throughout the whole game, really. It was like, why are we playing like this? Like, it's fun to watch. It's great to see, like, an end-to-end game. But it's, and, and even towards, like, the last 10 minutes, we're taking quick throw-ins where, like, De Gea is picking the ball up and throwing it out quickly. I think Casemiro just said to Delo, like, with about five minutes to go, like, just, just chill out, mate. I've played the whole game here. Yeah. I, need to, I need to chill out a bit. Whereas you guys, I think, Everyone, everyone was wanting to make their like a mark on the game. Like Alanga was trying a lot when he came yes. on, like spectacular shots, and and I think Sancho as well. Like I think everyone was trying to impress when they came on, and I think someone like Casemiro, who's obviously an older head and plays every game, it's like, come on, lads, like let's chill out a bit here. Because I guess everyone by by the end of the game. There's probably not really a first teamer on the pitch at that point, apart from Casemiro. Yeah, quite a lot. Yeah, apart from Casemiro, the guy. Uh, oh, sorry, Vekos and Vekos. Oh, but yeah, obviously. well, of course, we he has to saying. be class as a first teamer because he starts every single game, every single, okay. every single one. Yeah, my mini preview for Instagram before the game. I mistakenly put it up late. I'd written it earlier, which was about. Anthony Martial potentially featuring. Clearly got that wrong because he wasn't even in the squad. He just came back training this week. So I guess that was a, a stretch. But we may have options shortly. Until Martial like pulls up like a lame horse 
and 20 minutes into his first game back, yeah. something like that, I guess. You can all get excited about it for a moment. But yes, Veghorst is a first-teamer. That's on loan Burnley player, Valt Veghorst, our saviour. He missed a couple of very good chances today, Veghorst did, one at the far post where he really should have put it away and, and another shot pretty near centrally as well with his left foot, which he kind of snatched at. You could just save that part of what you just said and just play it every single week if you want to, to be honest, because he always misses chances. It, it, it always gets them. It's funny though, because like you, you would hear like, like a, the classic cliche is he's getting in the right places. Like, so that's what you always say of a striker. He's getting the chances and soon they'll eventually, soon the goals will eventually come. A bit like Nunes at the start of the season, everyone was saying that. He's getting loads of chances though, and he's getting loads of chances. And that is a bit like Veghorst, but Veghorst never looks like he's actually going to take it. Like, he, no, he is an incredible finisher. <laughs> yes, incredible is an interesting word. Yes, yeah, for him. Yes. Yeah, well, I, it, his record, and we talked about it when you first joined, is about one in two in the Bundesliga. Uh, that is some heavy Bundesliga mm. tax going on there, I tell you, with this guy. And and Turkish tax as well, because this season with Besiktas, he scored a lot of goals. Yeah. I was I was mm. thinking about that when Jaden Sancho missed the chance right at the end. Turned out it was offside. He ran through from the halfway, halfway line, uh, shot straight at the keeper. When there was a square ball on, by the way, so he was amazingly greedy. Even if he knew he was offside, he definitely should have squared it. Definitely. Anyway, he yeah. he didn't score, and and you go, oh my god, we're just waiting, aren't we? We're waiting and waiting for Sancho to the real Sancho to turn. I was thinking this as well because, like the the one thing that I speak about mostly about Sancho and and what his main attribute was, I guess, at Dortmund was that the fact that he was great at making a, the best decision or the right decision in the in the final third, and then you just see him do that. And there's there's just a few times today he's just so like, that's not the right decision, and you 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 know better than that. You are better than that. Like just did that one. It, it doesn't matter because he was offside anyway, but it's just like, just play a langer in. It makes you look like about 10 times better football if you play a langer in rather than finishing. Because no one's going to appreciate you for scoring a one-on-one, especially when there's a guy free to your left who you can just pass to. And people are going to appreciate you loads more if you just pass that. Because they're going to go, oh, well, so exactly. young man. He's just he's putting the team before himself. Yes. Win-win. I, I expected it. I expected under Ten Hag for him to move forward from last season. I really thought he'd feel like the kind of player Ten Hag really likes and the the player that would fit in with the Ten Hag system, which is, which, which I mean, as you saw with the Ajax side, right? Interplay between the forwards, high press, making the right decisions and the right third interplay between different players. I thought he'd fit in well with that. I thought he'd fit in well with players like Rashford and Anthony and Fernandez who he can play around and it just just hasn't happened yet. And I'm I'm kind of surprised since he came back after the World Cup, had his extra training, was extra fit, head in the right place that hasn't quite sparked off for him. He's obviously unlucky in that Ten Hag really likes Anthony for tactical reasons as much as anything else. And obviously uh-huh. Marcus Rashford's undroppable and he really wants, he clearly really, really wants a focal point in attack. And that's why Veghorst is 
clogging his way around the pitch all the time, doing things very slowly. But very, very slowly. Mm -hmm. So You can almost see the cogs in his brain as he thinks about controlling the ball and then laying it off. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Ten Hag really wants that, and it's and it's difficult position for Sancho to be in as a result. It is weird. He looks exactly the same from before the World Cup than he does afterwards. It's like it's like that break never happened for all the worst reasons. Yeah, and I guess it, it's, it's it's way too early to say or how long's he got left at United, but I'm sure people are are asking that question out there. I mean, there'll definitely be people in the Twitter. Sphere. I mean, yeah, that's true. Of course. I mean, there's people, people have an opinion about everything. Oh, God, they? yeah. Like, if United signed Kylian Mbappe and he didn't score 17 goals in his first game, there'd be someone somewhere on the internet going, waste of money. <laughs> bold fraud. Yeah. Is he cast as bold or is he just really short hair? I think it's just very short. Uh, he has got a very good hairline, actually, thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Other players who did well, I mean, Bruno had, what, an hour? I'm just looking at the data here. 68 minutes. He should have gone off the second Rashford scored. I don't know why he was even on for a, a millisecond longer. But because, yeah, just got to save the guy. He's going to have a lot of work to do. And so he had a decent game, I thought, Bruno. And Casemiro is obviously very good. Very glad he didn't either get sent off or booked because he'd have missed the next game or injured. Yeah, he's must be one of the few games this season that he hasn't got books or, or what is he had like seven yellow cards, two reds. He's had a few, yeah, twenty six games. Or something. It feels like a lot. I, did we? Do, I can't remember whether we talked about it earlier in the season or I read it somewhere about Casemiro slowly getting more aggressive over time. And I just it made me think his red card the other week about. Oh, we. I mean, obviously we talked about it a lot, but. Just, just whether that's whether that's true, whether he's just becoming too aggressive because he's slowed down just a touch, or whether it's yeah. because he's having to court cover more because he's in a single pivot. If he's not playing, I mean, he is. Even if he's playing with Fred, Fred is pushed further forward. He's in a single pivot, and or it's because United don't aren't quite the ball controlling team that Ten Hag would like them to get to, and they had much more yeah. of the ball at Real Madrid, and he's just not doing it. Anyway, it just feels slightly different. As good as he has been, he'll end up missing, well, the the game against Arsenal. Well, it was three, and then four on this one, plus a third and plus two thirds. So that's eight games, basically, with the two red cards. Mm. And the other game yep. he got booked, he missed through the yellow cards, tossing up. Yeah. Yeah, if he gets ten yellows this season, he'll get another suspension. He's probably not far away from that. <laughs> and if probably he gets not. one more yellow in the Europa League, he gets a su- suspension. It's r- ridiculous. But uh, I was thinking that this while watching the game today. It's actually it's a good thing that we've had this Europa League campaign. It's 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 allowed him to just stay match fit because around his yeah Premier League suspension. It's just it, it had just barely played over the last two months. Like obviously yeah. he had two had the Newcastle game, the seven nil, and then he got sent off after thirty minutes in that one. That, they were the three games he came back from the three match ban before that, yeah. and then he missed. Yeah, like you say, he missed Arsenal away not long before that. So you think how many Premier League games he's probably played this season, this year, this calendar year? It's probably about five, 
five or six maybe yeah which is what kind of ridiculous to say think how many games we've had i mean at least it's keeping him fresh i suppose well that's what i'm thinking i mean like when he plays today like i know he's they've got that yellow card hanging over him but like it's it's almost like there's no need to take him off because the Europa League isn't next week anyway, is it? It's, it's the week after next, I think, because obviously the draw's tomorrow, so they won't be able to... Draw's tomorrow. Back. I don't know who we want in that one, by the way. I mean, there's Roma still in it, aren't they? Well, it would, I guess we see the results today, but... And, is that uh, Arsenal are... I always get mixed up. I feel like they're in the Europa, Roma. And it's not that, like they're, they're the, the, particularly uh, great, up at the but, but obviously it's Mourinho and all of that. Anyway, yeah, we've got we've got... Fulham in the FA Cup, then it's the the international break, of which players will be flying all over the place. It's yes, Newcastle. Course, course. Then it's Brentford, then it's Everton. Is it the Europa League after the Everton game? So I, I kind of feel like it is. Yeah, that would that would make sense. Yeah. So he's going to miss, so we've got... Casemiro will miss Newcastle, Brentford, Everton and Fulham, the four games he misses. Mm-hmm. So the teams left in are Sevilla, Feyenoord, Juventus, probably Arsenal, we're winning 1-0, Leverkusen, Sociedad or Roma, and then one of the Union teams, Union Berlin or Royal Union from Belgium, who are somehow beating Union Berlin at the moment. Yeah. So, I mean, we basically don't want Arsenal. Yeah, could do it. I mean, I look at that and Sevilla... I think everyone else... Everyone else are beatable. I know Sevilla gave us a not a great time last time out when we played them in that semi-final. What season was that? 1920? Yeah, I think it was the COVID year, wasn't it? Around about then, yeah. But they're not having a great time at the moment. They're bottom, well, mid-table, bottom, middle-table in La Liga. I I look at all the teams there and I kind of think, could anyone apart from Arsenal beat us over two legs? And there's some good teams in there. Obviously, Union Berlin are having a good season. And, I mean, Roma are half decent. Juve are having a difficult time, but they feel inconsistent. But, yeah, Arsenal over two legs, you'd worry about the rest of them. You kind of book your book your flights to to Budapest now. Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. And like you said a few weeks ago, Arsenal will probably have other things on their mind. I think I said at the time, I think Arsenal trail off, which they haven't done at all in the league. But hopefully, yeah, they'll have other things on their mind. They won't be too... A little bit like that FA Cup game they had against Man City where they rested a few players and weren't particularly bothered about going out of that competition. I think they'll probably be yeah. the same for this um, if they if they ended up do playing us. Then again, we, we, we I think we thought that a couple of years ago, didn't we? And then Villarreal gave us our... our... Nemesis Villarreal gave us a beat us, whatever it was, 11 10 on penalties. So I keep expecting Arsenal to blow up. I look at that team and I'm like, how? And I looked at, I was looking at the injury table. I was like, is it because they're not getting injuries? They've had a few, they're, they're, they're sort of mid ranked in terms of number of matches missed to injuries. So it's not, it's not a Leicester in 2016 situation where they were like doubling down on the EPO and never got injured at all. Allegation, not not true, folks. Not true. <laughs> Any lawyers reach out? So wait, wait, wait till Ineos takes us over. We're going to get some of that sweet, sweet EPO. They will literally be cycling into Old Trafford with it, bags full of it, pouches. Our yeah, new sporting director, Dave Brailsford, will be mwah, love it. No, 
<laughs> oh god, it's still better than the alternative. Well, <laughs> god, I keep thinking not to divert us too much. The absolute rogues gallery of people. So we'll come to it in a bit. We'll come. Let's talk. Let's talk. Take over chat in a bit. But and, and like before we get onto that, any any further thoughts on the the game? I mean, it's all it's almost a side thought, isn't it? Because because it was as it should have been fairly easy. Bit of a shout out to Palestia. I thought played really well. Oh, Disney. Disney. Yeah. It was Yeah, yeah. And I think especially in the second half, he really really started to find some confidence and he's tidy, isn't he, as well. Like he keeps hold of the ball well. He makes the right decisions. He doesn't try to do too much. Basically describing everything Anthony isn't here. They're very, very different players. Like Anthony will try everything under the sun and some will come off some way. Whereas Palestri yeah. kind of just seems you kind of you probably know what you're going to get every time he plays, really. And I thought he looked good, and I think the more that he can get minutes like that and start playing in senior football at the highest level, the better he's going to be. Because he obviously had a loan spell out at Alaves, but was that that was Liga Two, wasn't it? Uh, I think I think it was at the time. I, I'm trying to think. He had two. He, he had two seasons there. Anyway. I feel like one was in La Liga at least. I'm, I can't okay. remember where they go right that way. Good. Yes. Well done, Ed, for remembering all of that. But yeah, he was he was tidy. 0.07 expected assists today. He got one shot off. 0.07 expected assists, by the way, is better average than Anthony has in the Premier League on assists. There was, yeah. a, there was a good deep dive in the Athletic on Anthony and some of the, the challenges and areas for improvement. Clearly, his one-footedness, which they point to in the data, is an issue. It's he comes inside and and it, it, unless he gets his shot off and pulls off his one trick, which is bending that shot into the top corner, <laughs> which is to be fair done quite a few times this season. Yeah, and also you looked at Arjen Robin, literally made a career out of it, and no one could ever stop him. He did, although he had more pace, Robin. But yeah, he did, and more quality on that left foot as well. Like he, yeah, yeah, bent it beautifully. But it was like. I know what you're going to do, Iron. And then he just did it anyway. Stepped on his left foot and whipped it in the corner yeah. every time. He barely had a. It, well, it's true. It's true. So, anyway, yes, Palestri did well. Like the look of him. I, I wonder, he's been at the club, what, three seasons now? Well, whether I wonder whether they'll. Because if they send him out, he's probably got a five year contract, I'm guessing, on that one, maybe with an option. So, three. Getting into two before the end of the contract, he was pushing to leave at some point recently. He wanted to go on loan this this winter. Don't blame him. He needs games. He's a young player. He's on the he's in the national squad. That doesn't want to ruin that opportunity. I wonder whether they'll they'll look to sign him up on a new contract and send him out on loan again. I mean, it's a, it'd be a big decision for him versus getting a permanent move away but if if Ten Hag believes in him and he's getting more game time isn't he I mean he's frequently come on I don't know how many times but he has come on for Anthony a few times this season as as the more direct change a player that's willing to go on the outside had that good shot today that hit the post didn't he yeah that that will be recorded as it'll be recorded in the HG but as not on target so doesn't go down his data but it's yeah He's a bit unlucky with that one. Overall, good impression. Yeah, he's like an old school winger, isn't he? That wants that can play inside. He's like I say, he's tidy enough to just come inside and play. But also, 
wants to get on the outside, wants to get to the byline and and cut it back. Like like a very slow version of Antonio Valencia almost. <laughs> yeah. Well, Antonio Valencia in his yeah yeah, later years. He actually does thinking about that. Palestri almost has the makings of a guy who isn't good enough to be a winger ends up but could be a defender into a right back yeah, maybe there you go yeah. maybe you spotted it already he's kind of got the attributes he hasn't quite got the yeah. built like a massive massive brick outhouse that Valencia was it was just the no, guy's no. thighs were incredible and biceps he's yeah. I still I'm still following him on Instagram he's always posting videos in training and uh, he's oh, still he's yeah he, he didn't have it for a few years towards the end there but he's he's Physically looks good. <laughs> you wouldn't want to meet him in angry mode anyway. Harry Maguire had a game or played a game, which is infrequent these days. Probably should have scored with that header as well. Somehow yeah, it went wide. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big chance. Yeah. He did okay, he, didn't he? He was good on the ball. He did all right. He's, he does the things Harry Maguire does. He was kind of slow. I did, he, I did <laughs> think... Ah, it looks like a defender running into a tree call. Yes, that's Harry Maguire. But yeah, he didn't make any. I don't. I can't remember a mistake that he made. United, for all Betis's yeah. push, and they did have a lot of shots, didn't really give up two. There's two, I guess. Two, the one save Dave made from the corner in the second half and the one in the first half. I'm trying to think yeah. if there are any other sort of good quality saves Dave had to make. I think that might be in it. So. Yeah, so, they had a couple of other chances, didn't they? They obviously Joaquin hit the post. I can't oh, believe yeah. Joaquin's still playing at forty-one. And then they had that one in like the first two minutes where they the geezer should really should have done better. Number seven yeah. or number nine, I can't remember what his name was. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Dave. That was the one-on-one Dave saved as well from person whose name I forget. And yeah, Rubial, Rubial. Yeah. Yes, I see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Dave did well for that one, and the header went wide. So. Uh, anyway, but the point was that Maguire, I guess, didn't make any mistakes. He's going to be out of the team again very shortly. And and he'll be sold in the summer, which uh, United can book as pure profit because that's the way amortization works. It's awesome. So, and, <laughs> and it will go towards whatever players we want to buy in the summer, which may be some, maybe none, depends on the takeover, I guess. All right, shall we talk about the takeover fun and games happening there? So as we're talking Thursday, the Qatari delegation has been in Manchester. They're absolutely not representatives of the Qatari government. They are they are representatives of a completely independent businessman who just happens to be the son of the former prime minister and is part of the ruling family. And in an autocratic state like Qatar, they're all free to do whatever they want. Honest folks. So they were in Manchester today for negotiations, I presume with the advisors to the Glazers and the Rain Group rather than the family itself. That may get it, it may get to direct contact later down the line. As I understand it, Ineos and I don't know whether Ratcliffe, I assume Ratcliffe won't be there. Ineos representatives will be having their meetings on Friday. So we'll we'll have all the paps outside Old Trafford trying to catch them. I guess this is moving to moving to the next stage. I, I, it, it really seems, and I wasn't sure this was true, but it really seems like there are only three bidders here: Qatar, mm. Ineos, and then Elliot, which is a 
not really a bid. It's an opportunistic attempt to fund anyone, whether it's the Glazer boys themselves or anyone else with some debt or what looks like it's equity, but what would effectively be debt. So that looks like it. That's it. And then there was some chatter this week that they, although it was Q1 we were expecting, April or Q early state Q2, it's probably more likely to be the summer before this is wrapped up. I don't know. It's just like choosing the worst villain. Like, who's your favourite villain? Bond villains. All of them, aren't they? Yeah. But they're worse because they're actually real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean to I, me, I, I don't to know. Me Blofeld just... rocked, rocked up at Old Trafford with his cat. Would you? <laughs> You're like, yes, you. You'll do. <laughs> Thank you, on. Still better than guitar, isn't it? Yeah. I, yeah. There was, it's... I tweeted it out for anyone who's interested. In, there was a couple of things I noticed. This one was the video that Ada Heyberg, the, the former golden boot winner, Norwegian striker, Norwegian Lyon striker, who tweeted out this video with a letter from a family member of a worker who died from Nepal, I think I'm right in remembering. It's kind of emotional video uh, about how they hadn't received any compensation, don't even know why he died. No, no investigation. And, and that's been the pattern, right? All these workers die. There's no investigation because if you don't investigate, there's no data. If there's no data, there's no reason to give any compensation. It just got me thinking like $220 billion was spent on the World Cup and, and nothing was committed for that fund that many of the NGO agencies were asking for, for families. Nothing. So, and then the second piece is that there's Qatar joined the international trade union body hmm. it might be called the it i can't remember what it's called anyway it's a it's like a international conglomeration of trade unions as part of their effort to spin that they really did care about workers and what happened two days after the world cup final they then left that organization and just kind of showing the life for what it was which is this was a nice piece of spin to say that, that workers rights were being respected for the around the World Cup uh, when really they're not. I don't know how many people listen to this show actually want Qatar to be to take over United, but... Yeah. It's kind of self-selecting it, at this point, isn't it? It, it, just, it, just, it just rips the soul from, from everything that we have been wanting to do. Like, it, it, it makes everything almost completely pointless because we've got so much money. It doesn't feel like we're going to build to anything. It makes us... If we lose the... The fact that we've got, we can be morally above City or, which to be honest, this is kind of a fun thing to always poke at City that you've bought, you've bought yourself. And it also completely rips the city, rips the community out of the club. Like we're just going to be someone's plaything. We're going to be a nation's plaything, which they're using to, to wash their dirty laundry in public. And I don't know how people can subscribe to that. Like the whole ethos about a football club is so much more than that. Like it's, it's communities. Yeah. It's, yeah As someone it's, said it's, to me on it's a, it's a Twitter. It, it, well, it is. Yeah. And exactly how I, I once started writing a book on this, which is the, the a retrospective on how clubs were formed. And I was thinking about, like where the future of the game was going. I only got halfway through before I got a job and so never completed it. 
but but I, I spent a lot of time reading early history books on the game about uh, where teams were formed. Like Manchester United, obviously Newton Heath Railway Workers, Men's Association, social clubs, churches, schools, other institutions. These were community assets. They were the things that formed by the people. The game was watched by the people. Eventually, private business came in, but historically, at least, it was local businessmen. That's what happened in in the case of Manchester United. For better or worse, there were people who felt like it was an asset of the community and had to be protected for the community. And of course, United have long been a forerunner of the destruction of that model. Like first club in England, IPO, back in 91, 92, somewhere around there. And and then one of the first to be bought out by an overseas uh, investor, quote unquote, not that they invested much, and <laughs> one of the first to commercialize globally, and and very much the first in England to take on this kind of regional commercial model and sector based, and we won't be the first to be taken over by a state if it happens. But you're totally right. Like, what is a football club if if it's just a tool of foreign policy? It's there to to well, I was talking to Fabian Goa, who you, if you haven't listened to my interview with him and Mayor Romanas, his colleague at Amnesty International, go back and and listen to it. I would urge you to. It's a very good conversation. And talking to him on Twitter about we need to redefine what sport washing means because I think there's a kind of sense that people think it's it's about washing the reputation, but it's not. It's about it's a, it's about the reputation, but it's also about co-opting institutions like Manchester United. It's about building soft power. It's about building influence. And in, this, in the case of the Qataris that we've now seen, it's also about using using sport as a tool to put pressure on government. So alongside mm-hmm. opting out of the International Trade Union Association, they were, it seems, bribing MEPs. There's an investigation going on now in, in Europe about that and putting pressure on FIFA to drop investigations into workers' rights. May well be, I don't know this is true, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, behind the scenes putting pressure on UEFA to like stop any consideration around multi-club ownership models. In fact, Alexander Seferin was what? just saying this week, basically hinting very strongly that he was they were going to look at that. Well, there's only one way you can change looking at it because they're basically allowing it now, but in the rules say you can't. So what's going to happen, folks? Pressure's coming from the outside and they'll go, okay, multi-club model is okay. Even though we said it was all about integrity of the sport in competition before. Sorry, I'm going off into a rant there. But but it's true. You look at the way that Abu Dhabi have created a, uh, well, the way that they deal with property in Manchester, like, just building all those cheap properties and destroying the housing market over there. You look at how much Saudi has has sway over the government. You look at what Russia's Russia did with their their oligarchs within London, completely destroying the city and the country in itself. Like that's literally what Qatar is basically just wanting to do their own version of that, whatever however that looks. And you and you yeah, you also talk about their sway over UEFA, like one of the reasons why PSG weren't up for the Euro- European Super League is because they they knew that they could be co- they are cozy with UEFA and they led the charge against the European Super League to look like the 
to look like the guys, oh yeah, we're actually, we're actually upstanding citizens here because, because they want more power when, when the European Super League fails, then yeah, yeah, we can be nice and cozy with Sheffer in here. Like it's, like you say, it's all about soft power and yeah. And sport as a lever for control, is, power, influence, distraction, manipulation. It's, uh... And and you, I heard like people say, I think I can't remember who it was, but someone was saying that, oh yeah, but I'm sure Ratcliffe's got some some sway over politicians in the UK, and he might try and drum up some support to be like, oh yeah, we we we, we want to build a case against why Qatar shouldn't take over Man United. Yeah, but could. The Qataris will have so much more sway over the over the the Tory government. All they need to do is just yes, that sweet, sweet liquid natural gas exactly, is pretty yeah. good. Yeah, like it's it's so insidious. He's obviously not in plain sight, but if you yeah, if you want to know how deep that kind of stuff goes, you just read the book Kleptomania. Is it Kleptomania? Yes, Kleptomania. I can't remember exactly, but. Right, that is just a book which is like it re- reads like a spy novel about how the country, how the whole world is just ran by the scary, to be honest, and just it's so insidious. Yes, it is. I mean, and there are to get back to the Bond villains. We will we'll see lots of press on Friday about the challenges of the Ineos ownership or, or Ineos coming at to United, and and I think it's fair to think about the challenges there. I mean. One of one of the biggest polluters, because of the nature of their petrochemical business, they will be accused of greenwashing. There's that's a fair case, isn't it? And mm-hmm. Whether sport is being used to change the reputation, certainly they're moving to cycling feels like that. And, and there'll be questions around the multi-club ownership model as well, because of their links with OG Nice and Lausanne, and I think they have a club in. Ivory Coast, I keep forgetting, sorry, as well. And, and yeah, similar questions. I think it, 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 we shouldn't conflate them too much, though, because a state actor and a private business actor are very different things. And the reason why you take over a club as a state is not because of an investment. I mean, I always laugh when Manchester City fans make that argument. What? Yeah, 0.0001% of GDP. You think that matters? You know, it, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the investment that matters folks <laughs> it's, anyway at least the crypto play die off quite quickly i don't think that will be happening anytime soon yeah i hope people have lost their money in that though. i don't think he took any money i think yeah, he got pushed back and so uh, the website was just taking registration so you're just giving him your data okay yeah. nice good stuff good stuff All right, weekend game is against Fulham in the FA Cup. I think that's right. Yeah, it is. Fulham in the FA Cup. <laughs> on Sunday. Yeah. yeah. So we're still in so many competitions, Tom, unlike Liverpool, who are now in no competitions. The, the, the quadruple is still on. Well, it's not, but... Sort of. <laughs> Look, we only need City to lose three games and Arsenal to lose four games and us to win every single game from here to the end of the season and we win the league. Inevitable. Inevitable. On Fulham, they, they've been dropping off a little bit lately, I think. Yeah. Like, I think the the momentum that they had from last season is kind of dying away. They're, 
they're a good side, but you, you see like Arsenal on, on Sunday, you think, oh, this might be a tough one for Arsenal. And, and, and it Arsenal really was just blow them away. And yeah, I, I think that, yeah, like I say, their momentum's dying off a bit. I guess always those things with, with teams that come up, it's like, oh, teams don't know how to, to play against them. I remember that Sheffield United time where they just kind of blew them away and bamboozled a lot of teams in, in, in the Premier League. And then they, towards the end of With the their season, overlapping well, centre-backs, that one. Yeah. 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 God. But I think it's, it's a little bit the same with Fulham. And there's not, they're not full of great players either, really, are they? Like Mitchell has had a solid season again. Andreas Pereira, you say, is maybe one of their better players. Williams had a bit of a renaissance, but I, I think I, I, I find it feels more like I feel more confident it being a cup game. It feels like less pressure somehow, and obviously, like a draw isn't a disaster either. I mean, it's the last thing we need really is to be playing another game because I guess it's replays are still a thing at the quarterfinal stage. It's only semi-finals, isn't it? I, I, they they, it's, it's changed quite a lot, and I mean, when the every year is extra it, changes, yeah. Well, eight, when the extra four games come in in the Champions League next year, it'll have to go replays. It's just there's no way you can, yeah. you can just no way there won't be any midweeks, basically. So un, unless, yeah, no, it's it, it they'll have to go. I, I was thinking one of the the reasons that Fulham had dropped off was because Mitrovic had dropped off. He was injured, wasn't he? And then. He hasn't scored. I was looking. Mm-hmm. I was counting the games: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Hasn't scored in nine games, so since wow. January the third, which is unusual because he did have quite a hot start to the season. Obviously, he scored yeah, 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 ridiculous amount of goals in the championship last season. Yeah, yeah, like you say, he started really well, like not at higher levels, but he was second in the te- in the goal scoring charts for quite a while. And then that been is Vinicius, the the other striker that they have who came in for Mitrovic every now and again he was scoring as well and like I say Willian's been phenomenal for them I thought he's I thought that was like such a crap signing when they got him it felt like this guy who was just dead at Arsenal is just looking for another payday in London but fair play he's he's been really good for them and they've played some really good football like Marco Silva's kind of been uh, Yeah. uh, he's kind of like it's First time you see Marco Silva actually do well for a sustained period. Like he had that time at Hull where he looked quite good for a little bit, and then he, I think he still got them relegated, and then he went to Everton, looked okay for a little bit, and then dropped off. But then at Fulham, they obviously smashed the league last season, came up, doing really well. They're still up there, like to be getting in European spots, aren't they? They're still above Liverpool. I can't remember. Hopefully, to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. No. They're a couple of points behind Liverpool now. Okay. So. so obviously they've had a really good season, but yeah, they just seem to be dying a little bit now. And I, I fancy us on Sunday with even they're still a, ahead of Chelsea in the battle for West London's finest between Brentford, Fulham, and Chelsea. Wow. Um, yeah. Hot one that is. I wonder when the last time Chelsea weren't at top of that table. Yeah. Yeah. Quite some time ago. Must have been. So, yeah, Andres Pereira has done all right this season. I, I noticed he put out on the social media his uh, collection of bangers for United. And to be fair, it's been quite a few bangers from Andres. That volley he stuck into in the, the friendly, top corner. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolute beauty. He was always mm-hmm. he was preseason Pereira, wasn't he? He was particularly yeah. good then, and then dropped off. A, a thing that when I was looking him up, uh, I couldn't quite wrap my head around is that he's twenty seven now. He's no longer a kid. I just wow, he's just perpetually he really a child, isn't he? He's twenty seven. Wow. Yeah. He, he was always, he always looked like he was going to be really good. Like, technically, he's a fine footballer. Yeah. He just doesn't have that, what you need. Intensity, drive. To do it at the top level, yeah. Yeah, physicality. Like there's, he, he wasn't great at anything. He was kind of six out of ten at a lot of things and not yeah. very physical. Like you say, not very fast. Couldn't shoot that well all the time. It's just like, moments of yeah flicks and starts here and there and it's just like it looks like you're going to be okay but you're not really yeah go to fulham and shine and he's not really sean i guess but he he's, he's kind of six assists two similar. goals looked, yeah he's done all right looked at looked at home hasn't he at that kind yeah. of club that kind of level yeah mm. okay i guess that's it united through another cup competition coming out I, th- I think we'll i think we'll win on Saturday, Sunday, Sunday, isn't it? So obviously, yes. I always say every every week for about how many years have we doing this? Fourteen years of doing this podcast, six hundred podcasts. Every week, I predict predict United win. I'm like Mark Lawrenson on the BBC website. You know how he every <laughs> single week Liverpool would win, even when they were really crap. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I think we'll win, and that'll be a yet another quarterfinal in a cup. Thanks, everyone. If you like the show, the way you can support us best is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And it really doesn't matter what you say in that review either. You can say you'd rather we talked about Manchester City and Liverpool. Just hit those five stars. Many thanks.